Thank you, Gary. Hey, guys. Every now and then they call in the shrink. I don't know what that says about you. But they did that for the person you came with. So turn to them and say, this guy's a psychologist. You need to listen. Just tell him that. Um, and who knows that more than Lizzie? <laughs> um, it, it's, always, it's always good to be here. I'm here pretty much every week. Um, I'm just sitting out there. And every now and then, um, thank you, sir. Gare asked me to come share about kind of my corner of the universe, um, which is that, you know, what we've kind of in modern day times have come to call this field of psychology, right? Which in my view, um, is kind of interesting. Uh, I think of, of, of life as being in a pie, you know, everybody has pie charts, right? So the way that I construct the pie is I think there's three big pieces to the pie. We're going to speak to what I'm going to talk about. It's going to relate to all these today. That life is kind of, in my view, is kind of three big chunks. One is, is what I'm going to call the clinical piece. And that's kind of how we're thriving, how well we feel, you know, our energy levels and our moods and anxieties and stresses and addictions and all that stuff. Or the opposite, are we feeling good? And then the second piece of the pie is relationships, and sometimes, as you know, those can kind of go south. And then the third area is our performance lives, whether we're able to find our gifts and talents and kind of bring them to fruition. So that's where I hang out. Now, a lot of people say, well, what about the spiritual piece? You know, there's another piece of the pie. You're leaving out the faith piece. No, I'm not, because there isn't one. There's no such thing as a spiritual piece. Spiritual life is the pan that holds the pie. Our spiritual life affects how we feel, our depressions, anxieties, addictions, all that. Our spiritual life certainly affects our relationships, and our spiritual life affects our performance. So that's kind of what I'm going to talk about today, in that sometimes we have these two worlds. When I first, first got into this field, it was like, you know, we're going to integrate psychology and theology. And they said that, and I, that just made no sense to me. Like, isn't, wasn't there one creation and one fall where everything went screwy, and now there's one gospel that should address all that? And so I kind of made it my, my life mission to find out, how does, how does faith in God heal us in these three big areas of life. And that's a little bit what I'm going to share today. Now, you know out there, um, there's a, what they call a mental health crisis today. Have you heard that? I mean, it's been out there for a few years and there is, you know, the numbers are up. We all have issues. Um, how many of you, I, I always ask this when I speak here, how many of you have issues? Okay, that's good. You can't raise Gare's hand. Lizzie, you got to raise your own. How many of you brought the issue with you and you're sitting next to him? Okay. So we all do, right? Now, now let, let, me, let me tell you the Bible's view on this. The Bible's view on this is if you have a belly button, you have issues. Because that means you're not Adam or Eve and God didn't make you perfect and we fell. And if you got a belly button, guess what, guys? You come from a dysfunctional family. How many of you came from a dysfunctional family? The rest of you aren't raising your hand because you think mom's watching. But you did, okay? 
The human race is a dysfunctional family. And you have a belly button, that means you came from the human race. You weren't poofed by God, perfect. That means you were born into a fallen world. And that means that the stuff you were supposed to get to make you whole was, it had viruses in it. Or it wasn't there. We're going to talk about some of that. And that growing up in a dysfunctional factory that's supposed to build us it leaves us sometimes wounded and incomplete, and then we're supposed to do life, and we can't. And then sometimes our own incompleteness and failures kind of does, do us in as well. But what I found out early on was that, that there's no such thing as a spiritual life over here and this clinical and life life over here, that this is God's life. And if you know him, you find out he has healing for all that, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. So here's the numbers, guys. Normally, just to take three diagnostic categories, depression, anxiety, and addictions. Normally, in the population we have in the high teens of people that can be diagnosed since COVID, we're over 40% of America could officially be diagnosed as having an anxiety disorder at some time in all of this, a depression an addiction, some kind of pain. So who are we talking about here? We're talking about us. We're not talking about people in rubber rooms. We're talking about us. The big categories, mood disorders. Anybody struggle with your mood? Okay. How about like anxiety, stress disorders, or habit patterns or addictions? You can't, you know, stop that or whatever. See, this is us. This is us. So I'm going to tell you about one, one really wacko case as an example of how I learned that this faith life heals us. And that wacko case is me. When I was in college, um, I hit the pavement hard. I had been recruited to play golf in college. That was my life stream. And I had an injury. I wasn't playing well. And after a couple of years, the pain was so bad, I had to quit. And I don't know if any of you have ever had it, something that you oriented your life around that fell apart. Like I had been pursuing that since I was a little kid. And my life was gone. For some people, it's a relationship, and that relationship disappears. For other people, it's a career goal. For other people, it may have been a philosophy or a belief system, or, but your life is kind of anchored in this thing, and then it's gone. Well, that's what happened to me, and I hit the pavement hard. I got really depressed, so depressed I had to take a semester off of school. And if I had known what I know now back then, I would have put me in a hospital. So I'm not talking to you just as a psychologist. I actually kind of came to this field the hard way. And I know what it's like to literally not be able to get out of bed or be so, so much noise and you can't even think. I know what that's like. And what happened to me was I'm sitting in my dorm room and I'm thinking about all these things in life that are falling apart and not working and how do you make a relationship work and my girlfriend and I had just broken up and I was depressed about that and my career choice, I thought I was going to pursue some kind of career in that direction and I didn't know what I was going to do and all these things and how do you get a job and how do you find your purpose and I'm sitting there and then one day, this afternoon, I'm just in a black hole and I look up, I was in college, I look up on my bookshelf and there's a Bible. 
with all my other books. Now, I hadn't looked at it since I'd been to college, you know, because it wasn't a required course. <laughs> and so I, it wasn't on my curriculum at all. <laughs> but somehow it just kind of stood out on the shelf. And I thought, why? Maybe there's something. I picked it up. I opened it up randomly, literally just opened it up. And a verse kind of jumped off the page. And it said, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is Matthew 6.33. And all these things shall be added unto you as well. I said, all these things, like I could feel better? Like, I might find a purpose. Like, I, uh, okay, I'll try that. I wander off to a little chapel across the campus, dark, empty place on a Sunday afternoon. And I went to the front and I said, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I need help. And so I kind of, I'd seen this on TV. You know, you go to the front and then you get zapped. And so I'm kind of bracing for the zapping. You know, I'm really into this kind of on another level. And I'm, I'm waiting for God to zap me, and, and crickets. <laughs> I mean, nothing happened. And I gave him another chance, and nothing happened. And I knew for the first time in my life, I knew I kind of, eh, kind of played around with God. But I knew this time I was serious. I had jumped out of the plane, and the parachute was not opening. And I'll never forget that moment. It was the most despairing moment I have ever felt. Because not only did I have all the stuff that I was struggling with, I also had reached out to my ripcord. And the chute was not opening. It felt like. So I just said something like, you know, okay, call me. Went back to my dorm room. The phone rang. It was a fraternity brother of mine. He said, I don't know why I'm thinking of you, but I am. I don't know, because I, I know you're, you're the last person I would call, but we're starting a Bible study at the fraternity house. And I just thought I would invite you. I know you're the last, I mean, I mean I, he's kind of apologizing. I said, dude, I'm there. <laughs> and I went, and that began a long journey. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm not depressed anymore. And I'm not, I don't hear, you know, so much confusion in my head. And I've been able to find a purpose and all of that. And you know what? That came from everything that I've learned as a psychologist. But it didn't come from psychology only. It came from this book. It came from the Bible. What I learned as a clinician, these aren't two worlds. You look at all evidence-based therapies, which we're going to go into the big issues today, because I want you to walk out of here with some tools, some areas to think about that are going to affect that pie in your life, whatever your clinical issues are, depression, anxiety, relationships, and performance. But here's what I learned. When I went into this field and God was healing me over the course of, of time, I had learned all this stuff that was healing people. And 
I had learned all the Christian models too. And what I learned was a bunch of the stuff I had been taught as Christian is just a bunch of crap. <laughs> now, will you raise your hand? Have you ever experienced that? I, now, I can say that, Gear. You know Greek. That's what the Bible says. It, that word's in the Bible, but it's a much worse word that I won't use. Paul said, I count all that stuff as dung, is what he said in English, but in Greek it's worse than that. In other words, there's a lot of stuff you hear about God and about Jesus, and I run into people all the time, and they say this. I go, where does it say that? It doesn't say that. The Bible says the opposite of a lot of the stuff we hear, and what I found was because I had heard all this stuff, you know, if you're depressed, well, what's the answer? Well, you just need to read the Bible and you just need to pray and you just need to. And that's, you know, that's what Job's friends told him. If you go through Job's friends' sermons, it's like walking through a Christian bookstore. I'm not kidding. And you know what he said? He said, he said, you're worthless counselors. I wish your wisdom were silenced. In the Hebrew, that just means shut up. And how many times have you been hurting and somebody gives you some platitude? So what I did was I dropped out of life for a couple of years. I mean, I was working full time, but this is in my 20s. And I said, Dad, it. somehow this spiritual stuff has got to work with reality. And I dropped out of life and I spent about two years, literally, I'd work and I'd go home. I'd be on the freeway. I'd be listening to stuff. I spent about two years and I just read my Bible. And here's what happened. I was born again, again, because I found out that God has given us his ways. And I believe in therapy. Trust me, many of you, if you're not going, that's, you should. But I believe in it because what evidence-based therapies do is they go deep and you have a dedicated space and somebody's really trained to go deep into some of the areas that God talks about that we have to be growing in. So I'm going to hop into those today. Because there's, there's sort of a, if you think of the 80-20 rule, you know, like, you know, if we can just focus on these things, it's going to heal about 80 plus percent of the problems. And I'm going to give you a few of the big four themes that I see in Scripture as a psychologist, okay? That the Scripture and the gospel brings us into this new life that will heal you in deep, deep ways. So we're going to hop into that. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in some of the Christian lingo. I, you know, we have to be in, the, in, in God's word. We have to be praying. Nothing's going to happen without that. And sometimes people, you know, <laughs> take the deliverance thing. Have you ever heard that? You know, there's a demon behind every bush. And some people, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You ever notice that? And these deliverance people, you know, I, I had a guy call on the radio one day and said, I've got the demon, I went to church and I got the demon of financial uh, curses or something. And I said, well, tell me about your life. He never gets off the couch. I said, there ain't no demon of irresponsibility. Go get a job. <laughs> but one day I'm, I'm, I'm treating this woman who's this little, little missionary lady and, you know, 100-pound, like, uh, you know, missionary bun on her head, really last person I would expect. to. And, I, and something's not fitting clinically in this scenario with this depression. And I said, can I pray? And she goes, sure. And I said, I said, Lord Jesus, and all of a sudden this little 98-pound woman 
jumps off the couch and she goes, don't you mention that name. And I learned, whoa, <laughs> that unseen world that we hear about, <laughs> it really does exist. But what Jesus said is if you're one of those deliverance people, even if you get delivered, which is that happens, I've seen it and more than that, he said, if you don't fill up the house that the demon had control of, meaning us, and fill it with good stuff, he's going to bring seven of his buddies back. So we're going to talk about that house today. That's you. And what is this sanctification process? What are these big themes? Number one, where do mental health problems come from? Well, they come from genetics. They come from, from uh you know, outside forces, you know, abuse and events that happen. And they come from a lot of dynamics that we have and they come biochemically. But you add all that up and what you get is a person that ends up with a makeup that we have to, we have to strengthen the house. In my view, we don't treat depression. We treat the person whose organism is creating depression. It's like a doctor, you don't treat a fever only. It certainly will help with the symptoms. But we got to get this body creating health and energy instead of no mood. So what are the issues that underlie a lot of these big things? They're spiritual issues. Number one, your sense of connectedness. Your sense of connectedness. How do you build a human how do you build a human? A human is built from the ground up, the slab, the foundation is relationship. And that's how you build a human. How many of you, you ladies have had babies? Okay. You remember that moment when your baby was born? How many of your babies right at that moment turned back at you and said, oh, mom, I'm sorry. Was that hard on you? <laughs> so sorry. Let me clean up around here. You go get a massage. I'll take care of stuff. No, that's not what they did. That's got to be downloaded. <laughs> Maybe when they get to be 12, they'll help you clean up. And when they're 13, they'll tell you to go to hell this way. <laughs> but it gets downloaded, right? But what do they, they come into the world. They're looking for redemption. They're looking for connection. See, that's the fundamental slab that humans are built on. And you feed and water a baby and you do not connect with them and they do not thrive. They can even die of failure to thrive syndrome when their physical needs are taken care of. It's called marasmus. Their body weights are lower. Their brain sizes are smaller. Physical needs taken care of, their immune system doesn't work. If they're not connected with Harvard, 75-year study, they just came out with the results. The number one factor of success and thriving in life is the quality of your closest relationships. Hello. I think God told us that. Let's bring up a verse. This is one of a thousand. He says he wants you to be have your hearts knitted together. Look at that word up there. Be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. So you take a baby and feed them and water them, 
but they're not knitted to somebody's heart and you adopt them out of an institution and at age 10, they start to act out. We take pictures of their brains. There's black holes up there where wiring did not even grow because of the absence of their heart being knitted together. And you look at depressed people, a lot of times, not always, we'll go through four issues today, but a lot of times their physical needs are fine. They're around people. But God, are they alone inside? Your heart's not knitted anywhere. How many of you have ever been in a relationship with somebody that was emotionally disconnected? It's like the old George Thorogood song, when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. One of the loneliest places you can be is in a city like Los Angeles and feel by yourself, even though you have people, millions of people or in a family, or in a marriage. See, this connectedness thing, all the way to octogenarians, they, if, if you take care of all their medical needs with the best medical help in the world, and they're not in a process group where they're, they're dealing, they have a support system, and they're processing the pain. They have much higher instances of second heart attack and stroke. See, this goes throughout life. So I want you to ask yourself right now, where am I having my heart knitted together? And I don't mean just getting together and talking about, you know, politics or the industry or your job or your career, even though that, that is sometimes where the pain comes from. But I, I, I'm not talking about happy talk. I'm talking about who do you get naked with? Naked. And I don't mean physically. I mean the way the Bible meets, means undergirding nakedness, the fig leaf that we put on in Genesis 3 when we became vulnerable and imperfect. See, before that, we were naked and unashamed, and we were connected, but when we lost relationship. What did we start to do? We covered ourselves up in our most vulnerable areas. That doesn't mean your genitals. All of modern society is perfectly free taking the fig leaf off. But as Rollo May said, modern Mankind has moved the fig leaf, from the fig leaf from the genitals to the eyes. So who sees in your soul and where do your needs come out? And they shouldn't, it shouldn't all be out there on, you know, wherever. It should be in a close-knit, trustworthy, safe, few relationships. Jesus had this. He had the 12, and then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. And then he had John, who was his looks like his closest friend, who happened to be the one that wrote all the, he's the one that wrote all the passages about abiding. Why do you think he was the closest to Jesus? Because he had the greatest, apparently the greatest capacity. And that's who I want you to find. Okay, so that's issue number one. Who knows your vulnerabilities and who knows your needs? Because if we're not proactively looking for that and scheduling it and scheduling activities that make for that happen, like the small groups, you know, Vintage has a number of those. And, and I just want you to, let's get past the surface somewhere where somebody knows what you need and how you're hurting. Number one. Issue number two. Once we have connections, God, do they want to control us or What? How many of you have ever been in a controlling relationship? Yeah. <laughs> Turn to that person, right? <laughs> Second verse, and I want you to see this morning, Galatians 5.1. Here's what he says. 
It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Don't be subject to a yoke of slavery. You know, slaves throughout history, they don't have what? They don't have choices. They don't have freedom, and they're treated very badly. And the Bible says you should not be controlled by anybody. It is for freedom that he has died. And you are free to say no to control. How many of you can say the word no? Okay, let's try together. Ready? One, two, three. Do it again. I want you to feel it. Feel it with your body. Come on, this is a bodily thing. Look at little infants. What do infants do? It's built into your system. Give them, you know, tickle them and they go, ah. Do something that feels crummy and they, what are they the literally, before words. And Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. No, N-O. That's a complete sentence. You don't have to justify it. But see, a lot of people are raised under manipulation and guilt and control. I remember when my girls became teenagers, right when they, you know, in that 12, 13, I said, okay, Daddy Sunday school, life lesson. And they go, oh, brother. That's the problem being raised by a psychologist. You got to go to class every now and then. I said, dudes, you're about to be teenagers. Let me tell you how this works. You're going to want more and more freedom. Trust me. I don't have anything that I want more than for you to be 100% free. The last thing in the world I want to do is have control of you guys. I want you to have something the Bible calls self-control. And here's how that works. There's a formula. Freedom equals responsibility equals love. To the degree that you live out your freedom, you can have all you want as long as you're responsible with it. And we're going to define that by are you doing anything that hurts you or anybody else? If you don't, look, I'm not going to be in your face, I promise. But you've got to develop that responsibility, and that means sometimes you've got to say no to some stuff that's hurtful. And the Bible says that's going to usually come in a suit, a uniform. <laughs> a person wearing clothes or a serpent dressed like an actor or an interview or a friend. And you got to exercise your freedom. You got to say no to bondage and never become under a slave to anybody. And you got to make some choices. Sometimes, sometimes they're, they're, they're good things, but they're not the best things for you. You don't have time to do that. You don't have to be manipulated. You don't have to succumb to the guilt message. And sometimes families do this. How many of you have ever seen any family guilt in your next door neighbor? Right? I remember I talked to a guy one time. He said he went to visit his mother and came to the breakfast table and she said, I, I hope my, my crying and suffering doesn't keep you awake at night. Translated in English, you should come home more. Or, or, or some people are so controlled by others. Not only that, you're supposed to have boundaries to set limits on abuse and mistreatment. 
And we learn in the church, be forgiving and accepting and compassionate. Yes, you are, but you're also supposed to stand up. Matthew 18 says, if somebody stands, sins against you, you say, you go to talk to them in private and say, no, N-O, I, that's not okay. I don't like that. It hurts me. Stop. And if they don't listen, it says you go higher up the chain. You might have to do an intervention. But God didn't make you doormats. There's no verse in the Bible that says, blessed are the doormats, for they shall inherit the heels. It's not there. It says set limits, say no, but do it in love. So I want you to ask yourself, where do I not feel free to stop giving my time and energy sometimes to being manipulated or guilt messages? Or where do I need to start saying no to things that hurt me? that I'm allowing somebody to do. But you know what? You don't learn no till the second year of life. Did you know that as a word? Why? Because you can't say it without the first year of life of being connected. See, it's the strength of our connections, our support system, our support group, that when you have the bad boyfriend, who's treating you badly and you need to say no, but you can't because when you do, the loneliness is so devastating. Why? Because we didn't answer the first need. We don't have our hearts knitted together in a support group that can look at you and say, run for your life. He is a whack job or she is. See, sometimes people can't say no to manipulation and bad relationships because if they do, the the emptiness is so great. So we get connected first. It strengthens us. People that love you will not control you, and they'll help you say no to the ones that want to. And then the third issue, if you live in a world with a belly button, that means bad stuff has happened. Did you know you, you were born into the wrong place? Some of you go, yeah, you should see the family I grew up in. Well, here, how many of you come from a dysfunctional family? Did I already ask you this? Did I ask you this? I did. Did I ask you to raise your hands? When you do three sermons, okay, you did. You came from a dysfunctional family, the human race, right? Adam's family. It gets passed down through the belly button, and then you get raised. But see, God says, I'm going to put you in a new family, have you born again and grow up again, and this new family is going to have some different rules. See, all the bad stuff, which basically is two areas. This is the third issue. You've got to deal with your pain. Your pain. The pain that's caused by living in a fallen world. The woundedness, the abuse, the molestations, the abandonment, the criticism. You can't put a scab over it, people. And think, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ, and I'm going to move forward, and I'm going to just deny what's happened to me. That's not what the Bible says. It says we're, we're brought into this new family, and we don't deny the brokenheartedness. We heal the brokenheartedness. We weep with those who weep. And you can have that heart healed if we begin to share it in a place where it can be touched. And some of you have... Have, and I understand why I tried it for all those years. To walk away from the pain and achieve something that makes you feel good. 
I want you to achieve, but I don't want you achieving on top of a pus wound that's going to ruin your achievement. We see that every day, especially in this city. High achievers that wreck all that achievement because of the infection that infected the achievement. You've heard time heals all things. That's a crock of, you know what? Time does not heal all things. Tell that to an abscessed tooth. (laughs) Or an infection in your finger. But what happens? You get an antibiotic. What does it say? Take this three times a day. For 10 days, yeah, time does heal all things as long as it's got God's medicine of the processes of opening up and grieving and talking about these things and healing and accepting one another. Three times a day for 10 days means ongoing in our lives as he's cleansing us and healing us from all of this woundedness. And Vintage has groups to do that in places. But see, we got to, see, I was forced to do it. But you know what I learned? I learned in psychology. I had a lot of loss that I had to process. And I learned um, not a lot of trauma I had to process. When I was almost four years old, I went into a wheelchair. And I couldn't walk. I was a crippled kid. I didn't know all that affected me. I was just going to leave it behind and go become an athlete. When the athletics was gone, I started having flashbacks. But I learned what God said, that if you'll go into my family and you'll get in a circle or with one or two people and you take the fig leaf off, that he's created systems spiritually where we connect with one another and we process this stuff and you can leave the past behind when it's processed. And I learned in psychology, I read Freud. God, he was so smart. And he gets maligned and he was crazy in a lot of ways, but he discovered a few things that are so true. One of them, famous book, Morning and Melancholia, that they found people with symptoms. Why? They had to get it out. And if you grieve, some of this depression begins to go away. Science, look what psychiatry has discovered. We're so smart now that we're scientifically based. Yes, we are, because we're learning in science exactly what one of the early psychologists, Solomon, said in Ecclesiastes by the pen of God who made the brain wrote in his psychiatry book, in Ecclesiastes 7, amazing, which is what the scriptures do all the time. They amaze me, and I read neurobiology all the time, and I go to the scriptures and go, oh my gosh, it's right here. Here's what it says. It says, it is better to go into the house of grieving or mourning than the house of pleasure. Because, and I couldn't believe when I came across this verse, It's rendered this way, I think, in the New American Standard Version. It says, because, why is it better to go grieve than go party? Because a sad face, Solomon said, a sad face can make a heart happy. Wow. Freud was right. 
If we stop trying to party it away and go to the house of pleasure or one more sexual experience, it's going to numb the pain and we go into the house of grieving, expressing our pain. We get over it and now we're smiling. But see, we had to go through the death before the resurrection. And the other side of that third issue is not just stuff that's happened to us. It's our own failure. It needs to be forgiven. In James 5, 16, and if you, you'll bring up the, the verse um, I had before that, or in uh, the, uh, uh, okay, in Romans 15, 7, here's one. Accept one another. Forgive one another. You know, if we can get in a place where you can process what's hurting and your failures and get honest with each other and accept one another. It's like you go into a recovery group. You know, you go into some churches and you, you got to be holy. You can't show any sin there or they throw you out. You go into a recovery group because you can't be a member of that church if you're not holy, right? Well, you go into a recovery group, you can't be a member if you're not screwed up. They'll throw you out. They'll <laughs> say so you're in denial. First John says, if we say we're without sin, we lie. But if we confess, which means agree, which means it takes two people. James 5, 16 says, agree with one another. Hey, I'm Henry. I just screwed up. Yeah, you're right. You really did. <laughs> okay, let's accept one another. You know what? It starts to get healed inside. That's the promise. And then the last issue, and we're running out of time. I'm just say this real quickly. What we talked about, connection, having good freedom and boundaries, processing the negative stuff. And then the fourth one is you're born little people in a big person's world as a child and you're under parental guardianship and managership. Bring up Galatians 4. It says when we were children, we were like slaves, right? We were under guardians and managers until the date set by the father where you were an adult, they had a bar mitzvah later, a bat mitzvah, and your, your parents say, you're an adult now, and we're equal. Well, what that means is nobody else can tell you how to manage your life and what your calling is and what your belief system is. Because now, if you don't have parents and you're an adult, where are you going to get a parent? Oh, there's only one option left, and we become a child of God, and we look to him and he helps us form our values. But if somebody's trying to tell you, you got to think this way. This is what you ought to do with your life. Here's what your talents are. And, and you feel inferior and you can't speak up and you don't feel like you're an equal. Wherever we're inferior, we will be symptomatic. We'll be depressed and anxious and fearful. So I'll close with this. I love... I love, I love what I do. I love reading nerdy psychological research. And I do it all the time. I love my field. And every day when I go to my field and I read neurobiology or psychiatry, clinical psychology, all these worlds, and I see research has shown. You know what happens? Every time I read it, I love Jesus more than I did before I read it because I know the passage that says that's true. So let's let God bring us into this healing body and these experiences that he has for us and, and every day do what I did that day in that church. And he might not show up, but trust and faith, he will call you. 
and let's get in these four areas and process them, and we'll make those numbers go down as we thrive. God bless you.